Judy, we thank you. Thank you for being an example to us and your faithfulness um, on this Mother's Day. What an example of a, uh, how older women who are moms are just truly a blessing to the church. Today is Mother's Day, and I want to talk to you, all moms. This group is pretty much um, more singles, but I hope this will bless you anyway. Um, I am not a mom, as you can see. I will never be one. And um, so I speak to you as a parent. Um, I think God speaks to fathers and mothers a little bit differently in the many ways at the same time. Um, and similar in many ways. And I was sharing, uh, my mom was sharing with me, we had Mother's Day dinner last night. She was sharing with me, um, on, we were talking about something, and she said, women may be fragile, but all mothers are strong. Uh, mothers do have strong influences they sometimes maybe not so good influences, but many times very positive and very good. And only there's two moms that I know intimately, my mom and my wife, Sophie. Um, and I say this to pay tribute to not only her, but ultimately to God and faithfulness, God's faithfulness in my family's life through her, my wife, Sophie. You know, we had Nolan when Lindsay was 10. And I saw the extent of training from my wife to her. You know, from mom to daughter, there's an intimate training. I think father to a son, I think there's intimate training. Um, where when Nolan was born and I, my wife was out for a few weeks, where Nolan, Lindsay would get up and she would be able to do laundry for the rest of the family. She would actually pack her lunch and pack her brother's lunch, Derek's lunch, before school. She was 10. And recently, uh, again, this is all like just paying tribute to God and faithfulness through Sophie's training of Lindsay. And this is more spiritual side. Recently, we decided April 30th was a commit date for schools. Uh, my daughter couldn't decide. In the whole long time, I gave my advice, but more of the shepherding came from my wife of shepherding a daughter's heart. They, they would share intimately. It's like, that this takes too long for me, right? <laughs> I know what I need. To, I think I should do. I gave her advice. And Lindsay, she was kind of complaining and why how this is tough decision is tough on April 29th. And I said to her, Lindsay, it's like most people your age and your position in this, not only in this country, in this world, would be dying to be in your position. Now you're complaining because you basically this is good. It's like the analogy is you're choosing between like Mercedes and a BMW, right? And there's like, there's something you leave out in the other if you choose one. And you should really should not be complaining. I went to bed after that. <laughs> so then the next morning, I'm having breakfast and she comes down. Sophie and I were there and she goes, Daddy, um, I believe, I, w I would like for you to decide. I believe God's will be revealed through your decision. I said, well, I go, wow, like, my attitude changed at that time. It says, like, I felt like a little bit like the Pope, right? God will speak his will through me. Uh, I told her, let me finish my breakfast and God will speak, right? <laughs> then we, I believe that we believe that God spoke and she'll be going to UCLA, right? So we decided to, that will happen. But again, I pay tribute to our Lord who's been faithful to our family faithful to my wife and faithful to my daughter and the biggest influence was through my wife in her life and her shepherding 
of my daughter. You know, parents have a tremendous impact on their children. Parents have impact that in that thing in God's design are to have impact on their children, and vice versa. Children have tremendous impact um, on the parents. And I realize many things, my sinfulness, God's gracious that way. My sinfulness, my weaknesses are revealed through them. So I speak to you this morning of a man who's been a parent for 17 years who had made many mistakes. So I hope God could glean something from you for those who are singles, but those of you who are about to be parents, or like men and Carol who are just newly parents, can also learn um, something from this. You know, to show you the impact, I read a book years ago by Tim Russert, who actually wrote a book about his father. Then he wrote a book. Many people wrote into me, he put a collection together, a book called Wisdom of uh, Our Fathers. Any of you read that book? Wow, okay, Gina's the only one. I think you read it on my recommendation. Okay. (laughs) It's a great book. And there's a story of like, like there's two things that get me, like father and son stories, and, and if it involves sports, it's like it'll really get to me, right? <laughs> this is one of those stories. This child was growing up in New York. Growing up in New York, he was a Yankee fan, diehard Yankee fan. His dad was a, not a very good, um, he didn't follow sports much. He worked in New York City sanitation, worked with his hand, he was a laborer. And they didn't have time to go to ball games much. They couldn't afford it. He said, Daddy, can you take me to a Yankee game? His wish was to be, um, to go watch the Yankees play at Yankee Stadium. And he asked his dad, he said, Son, if you save up enough money, we'll go, I'll take you to a Yankee game. So he saved up for a long time. And literally, all season long, last game of the season, he's, to go to the, his goal was to save up enough money to watch the last game of the season at Yankee Stadium that season. Well, he did. So he went to his dad and said, Dad, I have enough money. I have enough ticket. I have enough money to buy two tickets for me and you. Can we go? This Saturday is the last game of the season. He said yes, but I have to work. But I'll get home as quickly as possible, and we'll go to the game. Game was at one o'clock, a day game, and he was just waiting for his dad to come home to go to the Yankee game. Twelve thirty came. He didn't come home. He was working late. Twelve forty-five. He didn't come home. About five minutes before one, the dad came home and says, "Let's go." We'll miss the beginning of the game, but we'll still be able to catch most of the game. So they went, and to him, this kid, it was the glorious day, right? He sat in the cheap seats at Yankee Stadium, but watched his beloved Yankees play baseball. So they came home, and that was like, he was like gloating. But his dad was tired. He was a laborer. He could tell his dad was not very interested. But it was so, it meant a lot to him that his dad would take him. It was so special that his dad was with him anyway. So 30 years or so later, his father passed away. He thought, he always wondered what that meant to him. So he went into his dad's room, he was cleaning up his stuff, and there was a journal. He was looking through the journal, and there were those two tickets, 30 some odd years ago, of the game they attended. His dad kept them in his journal on that day. Wow. So the the remembered it was how it was special to him the son remembered how it was special to him the impact those things have I think only fathers and fathers could relate but they do have a great impact 
I'll tell you another story, another sports story. Right? Is that Myron Enos had a son, Myron Enos Jr. His son played Little League Baseball for Iwa Beach, Hawaii in 2005. They were so good, they made it to the regionals, the sectionals, regionals. They, were, they went all the way to Williamsport and a Little League World Series where they play against other countries. This is real World Series where you play other. We're representing United States. What takes a month-long tournament. Myron Ina Sr. was a driver who delivered water bottles, like sparklet water bottles in Hawaii. And he drove water bottles. He wanted to take time off. His son going to the Little League War Series. This is only once-in-a-life experience. And he asked him for time off. They said, you can't have this time off. Well, from his position, decided to go watch his son play baseball. Right? Well, lo and behold, the juniors team in 2005 goes to the championship game. They were down 6-1, and they come back in extra innings. They win 7-6 against Curacao. He was there to witness his son win that championship. The great thing about this story, although this kid is like, these kids are now state heroes in Hawaii, right? And people wrote about the Enoses, and they were so like generous. They gave all these employers to write it again to him, so they wanted to give him a job, right? So he got a better job, higher paying job, because he did this. What a great story. What a great ending. <laughs> he came back, he had like all these job offers to come in, because his son was a state hero. Those kids were heroes to them. So it's a great story of the father prioritizing his son. There's a relationship between a father or a mother, parent, and a child. But the important question we ask today is, what is in the middle? It is empty if it just ends there. It is empty if it just ends at the Little League World Series or a Yankee game. Right. Yes, we do have an impact as parents. The most important thing in the middle of that ought to be the gospel, ought to be the salvation of that child that we are instruments. Although we can't save our children, that we could help lay the path so they would walk toward the road of Calvary and meeting our Savior there. You know, as our children get older, I have children who are now pretty much adults, the gravity of the responsibility and the stewardship and the sense of weight that comes along with that is tremendous. And his only way that we could give them hope is to set their hearts, help them set their hearts upon Christ. So my goal isn't to like overwhelm your parents, but my goal is to actually give you hope. Hope where hope belongs. But in order to hope, there's things that we need to realize, right? We need to realize that our children, your precious children, like um, who has daughters? Joshua, your first child is a daughter, right? That, it's a beautiful child. I see her. It's a beautiful child. I know it's hard for you, but that child is a sinner. That's, that's reality, what the scripture tells us. In Psalm 51, Behold, I was brought forth in equity, and sin in my mother conceived me. 
in Proverbs 22. Foolishness is bound up in a child's heart. This foolishness is not just kind of some type of mischievous, lighthearted, kind of fun-loving foolishness. It's not. This foolishness refers to foolishness that mocks at God, who's angry at God, who's rebelling against God, and the authority of God. That foolishness is bound up in a child's heart. And as Paul said in Romans 5, through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned. So the greatest need is, is Christ, is the gospel. And number two, for your parents, Min and Joshua, some of your parents, Reuben and Angie who are about to become parents, is not to love your child anymore. Don't love your child. That's the worst thing you could do. Love their souls. Your eyes have to be able to pierce through the beauty, outer beauty, and the cuteness, and all that stuff that comes along with that. Peer through that and see their souls. And be a spiritual heart surgeon, spiritual cardiologist, who would be able to see them and love their souls. I believe that's what Christ saw in every man and woman that he encountered, was that he saw the state of their souls. So in in order to evangelize to our children, we need to love their souls. In every step we take with them, in every plan that we make for our children, every arrangements that we devise for them, need to be having the center of what they're go- doing, what their soul state is in and what, where that's going. So I want to talk about three areas today is regarding parenting. Parenting pitfalls or warnings, parenting opportunities, and parenting goals. Okay, what do we really want to achieve? What does the Bible say? Because, you know, in the absence of biblical instruction is that if that's not there, something else is going to fill that child's heart. And that's where the danger is. So one area, I'll give you some pointers, points, some areas of pitfalls. Is One is the wrong value. But remember, children are not our highest value. Okay? As marriage is not the ultimate in life, or parenting is not the ultimate, having children is not the ultimate in life. The two wrong things. The ultimate it needs to be Christ, our passion for Christ. Number two, another pitfall is behavior modification. Okay? Parents, it's a big trap or big, a dangerous position to be in. If we concentrate our energies on their external behaviors. Because okay? it may be if your child is very um, compliant, they do well in school, and they're athletically gifted, and they're very obedient to authority, they do well in Sunday school, that may be your greatest curse. Because there are all exterior, external factors which may not mean anything to their souls. 
Because what happens is if you focus on these things, then the inevitable end is we will raise um, a legalist and a Pharisee. And that is the antithesis. Because for a legalist, is the antithesis of the gospel. Another pitfall is foregoing discipline. I think Proverbs are replete with this instruction, using the rod. I believe that is what the Bible prescribes for us. The only thing I would mention, one more thing I would mention in that regard, is that the rod has to lead to the gospel. Otherwise, it's just punishment. Okay? There's, there's no real value in that, other, other than it, has to, it should lead to the gospel. And... Uh, the consequences of sin. Another area is provoking anger. Um, I'm getting a little different bent on what that means. It's like, you know, I tell my son uh, not to watch whatever, right? Like, or let, don't eat too much red meat. And I'm sitting there in front of them eating a juicy steak. I'm not talking about that. I guess that could lead them to anger too, right? <laughs> right? But... I'm talking more about Ephesians 6, 4. It says, Do not provoke your children to wrath. Bring them, but bring them up to the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Okay? So what leads them to anger? If you don't teach them and instruct them. Right? So let's put yourself in some shoes, okay? Um, Your child, Justin, grows up and plays Little League Baseball. Or golf, your passion. You send them, sign them up in this golf school. You pay a lot of money, right? You say, you save up men, and you say, I want my son to play golf. You put him in that school, and this guy doesn't teach anything but golf, right? Will you be angry? Of course, right? You send him to golf school, and he's not learning golf. There's something wrong with that, right? So if you, way, the greatest way you can lead your child to anger is by not teaching him and shepherding him. Instructing, admonishing, and leading them ultimately to the Lord. Right? We have to remember. How many of you know who Charles Engels is? Charles Engels. Raise your hand if you know Charles Engels. Oh my goodness. Charles, you guys ever heard the Little House on the Prairie? Okay. Neither. That's the father, Michael Landon's role. Okay. He's, where did Charles Engels work? He's always teaching his children, right? He, you know, this whole notion of mom staying home, and you know, until 150 years ago, in the industrial before the industrial revolution, guys like Charles Engels usually worked around the home, right? They worked in the farm field out just outside of their home, so their homes were connected to their place of work or means of income. But this is the modern notion where it came through like the last 150 years where fathers work and mothers work outside the home. Right? So I even like mothers, you know, my position now is that the most important thing about, there's no righteousness in having your wife stay home with your child. There's no righteousness in that. Right? The, the right, most important thing is that mom stays home and does that instruction, shepherding and guiding them to the gospel. That's the end. Just doing that by itself has no value. 
Very little value. I won't say no value. Very little value. It was so that for even for fathers, they stayed close to home. They instructed, instructed the kids. They received most amount of education from their parents. I'm not just talking about homeschooling. Just overall development and education of a child. Now it's all outsourced. Right? It's all outsourced. SATs, you're like, you know, they're schooled. Everything is outsourced. That's the modern era. Modern era. But the most important thing is shepherding. And I can't teach my children calculus, right? I could then teach them to hit a fastball, but I can't teach them calculus. That has to be outsourced, right? However, nothing, the area of where you, you can't outsource is shepherding their hearts, dealing with their sins, dealing with their evil thoughts and evil deeds, and helping them. That can't be outsourced to anyone. So it's important for, for parents. And the greatest way to lead your child to anger is to be absent. Let them go. They think they're happy for a moment. Ultimately, they'll be angry. Right? And last area of this where the warnings is expectations. And this is where it's, um, there's two types of expectations. There's worldly, more um, external expectations, and there's Internal expectations, right? Which is maybe probably is more important. Or is imp- more important. Um, I shared this in a pillars class a couple months back. How many of you have heard of that Tiger Mom book, where why Chinese mothers are superior, right? <laughs> David says no. This woman, um, Amy Chua, wrote, wrote this, where she wrote. I'll give you some excerpts from it. It's like. This is, Chinese mothers will never let their children do these things. They are one, attend sleepovers. Okay? Sleepovers are useless and way overrated. Right? Have a play date, another overrated item. Watch, or watch TV or play computer games. Another. Or allow them to choose their own extracurricular activities. Right? Or let them get any grade less than an A. Or not to be number one student in every subject except for gym and drama class. <laughs> or let them play any instrument other than piano or violin. And she goes on to write, if a Chinese child gets a B, which would never happen, there would be first screaming and hair-tearing explosion. And the devastated Chinese mother would then get dozens and maybe hundreds of practice tests and work through them until the child... Um, until the child gets great up to an A. Chinese parents demand perfect grades because they believe their child can get them. If their child does not get them, Chinese parent will assume that it's because the child did not work hard enough. And that's what the solution of substandard performance is always to correct, is to punish and to shame a child. And the Chinese parent believes that a child will be strong enough to take the shaming and improve from it. Okay. So there's one example of demanding academic excellence, like Judy said, uh, at whatever that cost may be. Okay? Whether you agree with this or not, that's what, this is one person's view. There's another um, example. There's two things that, that pervade culture, in modern-day culture, especially in Orange County, even in our church, is academics and athletics. Right? Usually athletics come from men, academics come from uh, um, the mom, or sometimes, you know, that could be interchanged. I'm, not, I'm just stereotyping a little bit here. 
especially to me. Nineteen eighty-eight. Sports Illustrated had an article um, called wrote an article called "Bread to Be a Superstar." It was a man uh, who was a trainer for the Los Angeles Rams at the time, Marv Marinovich. The son named Todd. He was bred to be an NFL star. Right. The article said. He never ate a hamburger, cheeseburger, Oreos, or ding-dongs until he was 18. Okay? When he went to birthday parties, he would bring his own cake. <laughs> he would avoid sugar and refined white flour. He would make homemade ketchup for his son, prepared with honey. Okay? He would not absorb, <laughs> consume any food with any kind of injection with hormones. He had only unprocessed dairy products, and he teethed, he teethed on frozen kidney. Right? He is... The article just went, goes on and on. Well, he did a pretty good job of this. You know? He was the first quarterback to start as a freshman at USC since World War II. Okay, Matt Barkley is the next one. Right? He's the first one. He went on to play for the Los Angeles Rams, he did well for a while, then he got into involved in drugs. He has nine felony accounts of mostly drug possession and other violations. Extreme parent, where sports could be emphasized and go to length. So we, ha- we could put, impose worldly expectations on our children. And that is a danger for all of us. But the greatest, even beyond that, is putting spiritual expectations on our children beyond that of Jesus. Dan sent an article, I think it's on Facebook. It's easy, if you haven't read that, you should read that, by the way. It's easy to expose sin in our children, or even one another. And particularly our children, we could, it's very easy to point out their sin and punish them, use the rod, and leave it there. It's very easy to do that. The hard work, is to grant them grace and expose them to grace and explain grace to them. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I thank God for this. I came back from Gospel Coalition Conference and my son asked me, Dad, can you share with me what you learned? He had a different look on his face. He goes, what, what in the world? And he goes, he goes, Dad, I think I finally understand grace. Right? He talked to some of the Sunday school, his um, youth group teachers, and he finally understand what grace is. He was always hard on himself of his sins, and he didn't understand um, how a Christian, if, I, if he calls himself a Christian, could sin like that. And he understood what grace was. So we have standard. Look how Christ approached sinners when he ate with them, when he talked to them, when he met them. How would he would handle his approach? was not just exposing their sins. He did that too. But he would always approach them with grace. Right? If we just expose them to their sins, we have standards, perhaps, that are, that are higher than Christ himself for Christians. Right? So th- we have to have right expectations. Number two would be parenting opportunities. There's parenting pitfalls, parenting opportunities. Is that, uh, again, like, 
I'm heavily into sports, right? There's things I, that are important to me. Vince Lombardi said <laughs> that winning is an all-the-time thing, not a sometime thing, right? You have to have winning mindset all the time. Well, Ted Tripp said this. Ted Tripp also said, life is a classroom. Teaching and learning should be done 24 hours in the home. Okay? Our homes are classrooms. He's talking about Christian parents teaching their children. Okay? You know, if you have been a parent for any length of time, some of you have, like Dan and Mina, like there are days your parents, I mean your children will just drive you crazy, right? Just, you just want to like, gosh, you know. (laughs) Without the grace of God, who knows what would happen, right? It's not that hard, but my wife is a very patient, understanding woman. I've seen her lose it. When she loses it, I look at my kids and I say, you guys really did it down. <laughs> Here comes real wrath. Right? Um, but you know, when our children sin, or when anyone sins, our friends, or husbands, or wives, we should take it this way. When our children sin, God is opening up more opportunities for grace to happen more opportunities for shepherding to happen. He's exposing you to the realities of what I spoke about earlier, their heart condition. And he's making it real to you. And it's an opportunity to help them. Because what happens is when we get angry, it's not really us getting angry that our children sin. It is actually one step further than that. If you take that to the next conclusion, is next step is you're getting angry because God is showing you grace to see that and to be them. We just get angry. We're just getting angry at God's opportunity. That's God's perspective. That's God's perspective. Sin, weakness, rebellion, their failures, their should not be an imposition on our parenting. It should never be an uh, interruption on our parenting. It, they should never be a hassle. It should always be seen as God's grace allowing us to shepherd our children. Because that's the greatest moment. When our children are, that's why, when children are obedient, compliant, it's a curse. Because that doesn't happen. But then their sin is just brewing in their hearts. So after like, learning this, I'm thankful for my boys. <laughs> because it does happen. Right? So take, turn the moments of anger into turn the moments of ministry. Prayerfully approach the problem and meet where your child is. Right? Then set your heart upon the real matter. Is focusing on their eternal state. Okay? And then praying that God would grant us grace to be patient in our anger and that we would subside, be able to subside our anger and shepherd our children and show them the pathway to Calvary instead of just punishment after punishment after punishment. So there's practical warnings, pitfalls, and practical, um, there's um, not parenting pitfalls. Um, now they're talking about we want to talk about parent, the practical opportunities that God gives us in parenting. 
Um, God does give us opportunities. Right? So we have to show our children that they are not the highest value. And one of the greatest ways to do that is go on a lot of date nights with your wife or your husband. Set up, hey, you guys are, you, know, you guys are important, but not that important. I love my wife more. And I'll treat her as if, right? And being a good, good example to them. And teach them. You know, in that, on 9-11, Rudy Giuliani was the mayor of, of New York. You know, they asked him, said, how are you able to like, kind of like be calm and um, lead the city and kind of lead the nation that way? And he said, I got that from my father. He said his father taught him, told him as a young man, says it's time of crisis. When people are crying and being emotional and upset, the best thing you can do is to be calm. And the calmer when things around you, you become more and more, when, as things are more, more out of control, be calmer and calmer you could possibly be. He said he learned that, and he, remi- he reminded himself of that as he led that city. That's a great example. Give them, be an influence to them where they think they could remember things. Where that you could be an example. Take opportunities that's given to you. Right? And there's small opportunities that come along all the time. And you just have to take advantage of them. Create moments for your children to remember. And I love this one um, about Spurgeon. Spurgeon had 16 brothers and sisters. There were 17 Spurgeons, right? But this is what he said um, about his mother. He said, I cannot tell you how much I owe to the mother. On Sunday evenings, while we were yet little children, for her to stay at home with us. And we sat around the table and read verse by verse, and she explained the scriptures to us. After that was done, then came a time of pleading. And the question was asked, how long would it be before that we think about our state? How long before we seek the Lord? Then came my mother's prayer. And some of the words of that prayer we shall never forget. And even the, when our hairs are gray, I shall never forget. I remember on one occasion, she prayed like this. Now, Lord, if my children go on in their sins, it will not be from their ignorance that they, that, that they perish. My soul must bear the swift witness against them on that day of judgment if they lay not hold of Christ. Spurgeon said, That thought of my mother bearing the swift from our Lord pierced my conscience and stirred my heart. She was praying to God that if her children are not saved, that she would bear the judgment on their behalf. And I, I don't, do not know this for sure. Prince, Spurgeon is known as Prince of Preachers. I believe his mother helped create that. He's a man who impacted the Christian, Christianity and the Christian world the days he lived and even hundreds of years now after that. He still is impacting, will impact by his mother's example. What influence? 
What influence? She just took a moment of prayer and she heard, he heard her pray for that. Just simple prayer. Simple everyday prayer. And she was able to set an example. Another practical opportunity is to provide leadership. This is particularly for boys. Particularly for boys is we live in a world, in a cartoon network world. You know, cartoon network world, I say this, their target market are not like my seven-year-old. Because they don't have any money, right? Cartoon network markets to people mostly in this room, 18 to 35. That's their target market. That means people at 18 to 35 watch Cartoon Network. And a lot of them do. And a lot of advertisers advertise because they spend money. Because usually 18 to 35, a lot of them are single, have what they call disposable income, right? So this goes to the fathers where um, I think Huey, Dan, men, you guys will raise, I think Ruben, you'll be raising a boy soon. Um, at the age, the moms don't like me hearing this, right? Like me saying this, like, but I'm gonna offend some moms here, but it's it's the truth, right? Is that moms never want to marry? Women never want to marry mama's boys, but they sure want to raise one, right? <laughs> they want to hang on to them as long as possible. I see my kids somewhere before 12, I think, somewhere between most kids, eight and 12. Boys will grow out of needing the nurturing from their mom. They just need them to feed them. <laughs> right? This is when men have to step up in leadership. Boys need to be led by men. If you don't need them, someone else will. Usually, maybe their friends, maybe their, I don't know, their teachers, but you're playing spiritual Russian roulette. Right? They need to be led. Men need to step up and we need to teach them discipline. Right? William Barclay said this, Nothing was ever achieved without discipline and many as an athlete and many as a man has been ruined because they abandoned discipline and let himself grow slack. No one ever reached any eminence. No one having reached it ever maintained it without discipline. Discipline, just not the sake of discipline. Discipline for the sake of godliness. That's what we want to teach. Okay? Discipline to study the scriptures. Discipline to pray. Not the sake of praying. Discipline to worship and value church. Discipline to gather with others. Discipline to pray for others. Be considered to others before their needs. Discipline to be good stewards. Teach them to handle money well, whatever is in that possession. First Timothy four seven says, "Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness." So that leads us to the last point. There's pitfalls, and these are opportunities. Parenting goals. Actually, one goal. The goal of parenting, as it says in Second Timothy, it says, "From your childhood, you have been acquainted." with the sacred writings which were able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 3. The goal is to change, affect the child's heart, to make it Christ-centered, where the goal of parenting is the gospel. 
Everything we do, everything we instruct, everything that we're being an example of should be directed toward the cross. Be an example of the redemptive plan unfolding in your life and a child's life. Because one day, the cold, hard reality is that if nothing is ever done about your children, think about your beautiful children today, one day, they shall stand condemned without the gospel. Okay? Okay, Another sports analogy. Christianity is like baseball. You could belong to a baseball team. You could belong to a church. But when you step in that batter's box and that pitcher is throwing a 95-mile-an-hour fastball, right? I don't care if you have Babe Ruth, Hank Aaron, Pete Rose on your team in their prime. Those people cannot help you hit that fastball. You have to do it. So your children one day will stand before the Lord and answer for their sins. And if our God does not see the imputed righteousness of Christ in their life, they're condemned. I don't care what Rob Bell says, right? I believe they will stand condemned. They will be judged. That's the reality. We are not lovers of their souls. We see the focus on the external. That's the danger. We, our job is to teach them that there is hope. There's hope for their, their state, their state of sinfulness. It's to teach them the gospel and to love Christ and to have hope in Him where grace will meet you. Right? But first of all, parents, as we teach our children, one thing we need to ensure before we teach is in our hearts that we have to shepherd our own hearts, to shepherd our hearts to be conforming to the image of Christ today. And make sure that is happening in your heart as you lead your children. Otherwise, we're hypocrites. Right. Right. So help them. Help them to build a habit of faith. Help them to trust you. Because if you, they can't trust you, they're going to have a harder time trusting God. Right. If you take the example, in Genesis 22, Isaac asked this, asked this simple question to his father, Abraham. Where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide. And you know, Isaac never asked the question after that. He believed him. He believed his father. Now train your child to believe you, fathers and mothers, your words. Right? Give them habit of faith. So when they read scripture, they could believe it and they could put their life behind it. Right? Then help them to be infatuated, infatuated with the kingdom, eternal life. And I love what Jim Elliott wrote. You know, when he decided to go to South America, he did this when he was 22. Okay? Most of us in this room are older than 22. Jim Elliott was married and he was to go to South America when he was 22. His parents were obviously, you know, I would, be, I would have that apprehension if my son said that, but this is how he responded. It says, I do not wonder that you were saddened at any words of my going to South America. 
This is nothing else than what the Lord Jesus warned us of when he told his disciples that they must become so infatuated with the kingdom, following him, that all other allegiances must become as though they were not. And he never excluded family to be, and family tie to be this way. In fact, those, those love that we regard the closest, he told us to, he told us we must become as to hatred for them, to compare our desires, to uphold his cause. So grieve not. That's what he told his parents. But I would be very impressed if my 22-year-old child wrote this and be very impressed. He was so infatuated with what, what, with the kingdom, he was willing to risk his life. Notice his explanation where he pours his heart out to his parents. This is, this is what Christ requires of me. Then, I think lastly, give them hope in the gospel, and the gospel only. You know, in our nurturing parental mindset, gospel must be central to everything. Gospel is the only hope, only hope forgiveness of their sins and their true change true to have a true born again heart we need to teach them and show them being an example at every opportunity as it arises we need to help our children see the motivation behind the obedience not just obedience itself because that's not the end you know consider this a Christian father wrote this um many years after his children were all grown up, he said, my family's all gone. The kids are all gone now. And if I had to do it all over again, this is what I would do. I would love my wife more in front of my children. I would laugh with my children more at my mistakes and my, our joys. I would listen to them more, even to the littlest child. I would be more honest about my own weaknesses never pretending perfection. I would pray differently for my family. I would pray in front of them more. Instead of focusing on just prayer itself, and we're praying for, uh, focusing on them and their weaknesses, I would focus on me and my weaknesses. I would do more things together with my children. I would encourage them more and more and bestow more praise than I gave. I would pay more attention to little things, little deeds, little words of thoughtfulness. Then and finally, if I had to do it all over again, I would share the gospel more intimately with my family. Every ordinary thing that happened in every ordinary day, I would use them to direct them to the gospel. The father who, there's probably a father of many older children, but beautifully said, Don't be afraid to confess your own sin or own own idolatry. You know, many of us, all of us have parents who raised us, gave birth to us, or even if you're adopted, who raised you, parents who raised you to be a man and woman that you are. But for many of us, we have parents, um, biological or the parents who raised us, but we have different spiritual parents who raised us spiritually. 
Um, but wouldn't it be beautiful for your children, the parents that raised them, give them shelter, clothes to wear, and food to eat, and also the parents who raised them spiritually and gave them the path to Calvary. So that they were the same parents who helped them come out of their miserable state and no longer are they condemned. But you helped them to the cross where God's grace would provide the blanket and they would be comforted by it. May God grant all of us grace, all of us parents and parents uh, to be that grace, to be able to provide that for our children. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you for um, your love that has been showed through our moms and your dads and our parents that guided us gave us food to eat and sheltered us. More importantly, thank you for the parents who taught us spiritually, helped us to grow, and um, molded us and helped us um, and led us to the cross where we have forgiveness of sin. Lord, help all of us. Will you grant us hearts to serve Christ by instructing and guiding our children toward Calvary where there is hope, where there is gospel that will save them. Will you grant all of us that grace? In Jesus' name.